Today our New Testament scripture reading is taken from Acts chapter 17. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. But the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received. And these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Therefore many of them believed also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go, as it were, to the sea. But Silas and Timotheus abode there still. And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus, for to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him, when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews, and with the devout persons, and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, What will this babbler say? Other, some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. 
We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is likened to gold or silver, or stone, graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, Some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed, and among the which was Dionysius, their Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. May the Lord bless his word as it has been read and as it is now preached. My text this Lord's Day is from Proverbs chapter 26, verses 13 through 16, where we read these words. The slothful man saith, There is a lion in the way. A lion is in the streets. As the door turneth upon his hinges, so doth the slothful upon his bed. The slothful hideth his hand in his bosom. It grieveth him to bring it again to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. God calls us to be diligent, faithful, and steadfast in the work which we are appointed to do. Whether work that is mental or work that is physical. Whether work that is secular or work that is spiritual. 
God would have us to apply ourselves in earnestly exerting our energy to do the will of God from a willing and joyful heart for God's glory. Even as we find stated in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. There was this diligence of which we now speak is specifically a Christian grace because it is a diligence not simply to work, not simply to be busy, but it is a diligence to do the will of God to the glory of God. Non-Christians may be hard workers, but they cannot have the Christian grace of diligence. There are two sinful extremes that must be avoided if we would be diligent to the glory of God. The first is the sinful extreme of addiction or servitude to one's work. So that one works for work's sake. So that work becomes, in effect, an end in itself. There may be workaholics, dear ones, just as there are alcoholics who work themselves into an early grave, finding no rest and no relaxation, either day or night. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 22 and 23, listen of such a man. For what hath man of all his labor and of the vexation of his heart wherein he hath labored under the sun? For all his days are sorrows, and his travail grief. Yea, his heart taketh not rest in the night. This is also vanity. Dear ones, all that we do should have as an end, the glory of God. And it should benefit ourselves and others. For this reason, lawful recreation is necessary and beneficial in order that we might not drift into this particular extreme, but rather rest our minds and our bodies from our work so that we might be even more diligent and faithful in the work of God which he has called us to do. Whether that lawful recreation be soothing music, as in 1 Samuel 16, 16, or archery, or other types of sports of this nature, as in 1 Samuel 20, verse 35, or riddles, as in Judges 14, 14, or bodily exercise, as in 1 Timothy 4, 8. The second sinful extreme we must avoid is allowing our pleasures even lawful recreations to so occupy our minds and our time that we are so wearied from them or so consumed with them that we are not able to fulfill our callings with, God, with godly diligence, faithfulness, or steadfastness. When we live to fulfill our pleasures and recreations rather than to fulfill our lawful callings to the glory of God, we have drifted into a sinful extreme which will lead to our own poverty in body and soul. 
Proverbs chapter 21, verse 17 says this. He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. His poverty may be in his body, may be in his health, it may be in his spirit, in his soul. But he who loves pleasure is going to be a poor man. Dear ones, one apparent sin which keeps us as Christians from being diligent in our lawful work and in our lawful tasks is that of laziness or slothfulness. One who is lazy in all his ways is in the scripture called a sluggard. Laziness is a sin which all of us find so unattractive and appalling in the lives of others. But as in so many other cases and areas of our own life, we seem to see sin so much more clearly in the lives of others than we do in our own lives. Today, may the Holy Spirit shine the light of His Word upon all instances of laziness in our own lives For who among us does not to some degree manifest laziness? Just as Christians are not unbelieving fools, but may be foolish to varying degrees, so Christians are not unbelieving sluggards, but may be slothful to varying degrees. As God's children who are united to Christ by faith alone, We may be a bruised reed or a smoking flax, but Christ will not break us nor extinguish our faith in Him, even though it seems at times to be merely smoking rather than burning brightly. He will rather put His almighty hands around the smoking flax that it not be entirely extinguished. And so if you struggle with the sin of laziness, a slothfulness in your own life. Do not give in to the sin. You may be a smoking flax. God will help you. God will sustain you as you look to Him. May God therefore cause us, dear ones, to so despise the sin of laziness and to exert all spiritual energy and grace to uproot it wherever it shows its ugly face in our lives. From our text this Lord's Day in Proverbs 26, verses 13 through 16, God teaches us through the wisest man who ever lived, that is, one born by natural generation, that is Solomon, God teaches us through Solomon four characteristics of a slothful, lazy man. First, he procrastinates out of fear. Proverbs 26, 13. Second, he loves his pleasure, Proverbs 26:14. Thirdly, he finds his duty to be a burden, Proverbs 26:15. And fourthly, he is proud, Proverbs 26:16. First characteristic of the sluggard is that he procrastinates out of fear. Look with me at Proverbs 26.13. The slothful man saith, There is a lion in the way, a lion 
is in the streets. What is laziness? It is not the same thing as being deliberate, careful, or even slow in one's work. In fact, one who is quick and fast in accomplishing a task may do so because he primarily has in view a desire to spend all of his time in his lazy pleasure and at ease. Write this down. This is the definition I'm working off of today. Laziness is a sinful attitude or practice which moves us to despise or neglect our lawful work to which God has called us. Laziness is a sinful attitude or practice which moves us to despise or neglect our lawful work to which God has called us. It may be manifested in our desires, in our words, or in our actions. Let me make clear, dear ones, that one is not lazy who is either resting or convalescing due to some illness when his desire and or goal is to get back on his feet so that he might be diligent and faithful in his calling. Neither is one lazy who is recreating or refreshing himself due to physical or mental exhaustion, but desires to be more effective in his calling due to his being refreshed. And even after retirement, one must not retire from lawful work in some way. Lawful work being that which glorifies God and benefits himself and others. He must not retire from lawful work so as to spend the rest of his life in a self-centered, pleasure-oriented lifestyle. All lawful work that we do, whether before or after retirement, should in fact bring us joy in this respect, knowing that we glorify God and profit ourselves and others by it. The lazy person, the sluggard, dear ones, is one who makes excuses and even lies as to why he can't do what he should do. The excuses and lies may sound as ridiculous as the one stated in Proverbs 26.13. There's a lion waiting for me out there in the streets if I try to do what I'm supposed to do. That lion is going to eat me up alive. Dear ones, we procrastinate in fulfilling a promise, a lawful duty, in completing an assignment, maybe school assignment, work assignment, an assignment within the house, uh, something that we were called to do at uh, work, or in making a difficult phone call, procrastinating in making a difficult phone call, or talking to someone that you know is going to be a difficult conversation. Because, dear ones, what is right to do is not always easy to do. What is right to do may in fact be very, very difficult in the flesh to do. And we would rather make an excuse or even lie in order to avoid performing that duty. You see, we do not want to be stretched 
in our flesh. We do not want to be stretched beyond that with which we are comfortable. God, dear ones, intends such duties and such work which stretches us to be not for our destruction, but rather to be for our sanctification and our edification. There was a time that I believed very strongly, I still do, but uh, when I first became aware of this, that God had called me to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and yet I was so uncomfortable, yea, even afraid, to speak publicly. By God's grace and by his perseverance, I began to look for and accept every opportunity that I could to speak publicly. Though falling on my face many, many, many times, my voice shaking and quivering, my whole body seeming to go into some kind of a spasm, trembling, and yet I continued to do so. I don't claim to be any great orator even now, but I can stand by God's grace in front of people and can declare the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I attribute it to his mercy. But he didn't do so by my idleness. He did so in my energy in applying, doing what I believe God had called me to do. Dear ones, God is far more concerned with our character than he is with our comfort. The lazy person says, it's better to lie than to do what is hard. The lazy person says, I can't do it. However, the diligent, faithful Christian who perseveres by God's grace in fulfilling the will of God says, with God all things are possible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The sluggard may herein be seen to be a coward as well. Not only a procrastinator, but a coward. Rather than facing difficult and trying circumstances at work or with family or with friends, he will take the easy way out and come up with some imaginary ghost that prevents him from pursuing the will of God for his sanctification. He fears the confrontation with that person or situation more than he trusts the living God who is able to deliver him out of the mouth of even real lions as he did Daniel in Daniel chapter 6. Or out of the mouth of figurative lions as he did Paul in 2 Timothy 4.17 where Paul says that he had been delivered out of the mouth of lion, of lion probably referring to Nero at that particular time in escaping uh, imprisonment. Dear ones, it is not those who are diligent in seeking to do God's will that should fear the lion, but those who are lazy and irresponsible in doing God's will that should fear the lion. In 1 Kings 13.7 and following, there is told of a man of God there who went to speak the truth to Jeroboam who had just been inaugurated as king and told him and pronounced a curse upon him and that there would be one in the future 
by the name of Josiah who would come and would destroy this altar in Bethel that Jeroboam had erected. But God had told this man of God, don't stay there. Once you have given the word, come back to Judah. But there was another who was called a prophet in the same account who comes and says, dear brother, come and enjoy some meat and drink with me. For God, and he lied, this prophet then lied, God has told me to communicate this message to you. And so he did so. And then God gave the prophet who had lied a message that of judgment that was to befall the prophet who had gone to Samaria, to Bethel, to speak against Jeroboam and said, because you have disobeyed me, you have not followed my will, you'll be eaten up by a lion on your way back. And God fulfilled his word. Those who are not in- interested, those who do not keep the will of God should fear the lions. Not those who do keep the will of God and seek to obey it. 1 Peter 5.8 describes Satan, our adversary, as a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour. We need not fear Satan if we do seek to obey and keep God's will. If we are not lazy, if we are not sluggards, if we are not slothful, the desire to keep the will of God, we need not fear what the enemy can do to us at all. We see here, dear ones, that the future frightens the sluggard into procrastinating and making all kinds of excuses as, as to why he should not set godly goals for his life and set out in Christ's power to reach them. The lazy person would rather stay in his house where he thinks he is safe although he is unable to really escape from all of his mental fears that lie outside the house. He's imprisoned within his house. He's not able to move forward. He'd rather do that than step outside and face those fears head on, trusting in the promises of God to close the mouths of those fearful lions. You see, the lazy person is one who simply waits for things to happen The diligent person makes plans for the future. The diligent and faithful person not only makes plans, but he moves forward step by step, however slow it may be, to see those plans accomplished for God's glory, for his own benefit, and for the benefit of others. If in stepping out of the house in dependence upon Christ, in order to face those fears, we fall, As I mentioned, I fell in speaking publicly many, many times. The point at times my wife just wished I wouldn't accept some of those opportunities. It was so hard to watch me go through those times, to see me fall. But dear ones, if in doing the will of God and not submitting to these fears we do fall, Hear me closely. Hear me clearly. If we fall in so doing, we have not failed. We have fallen. We have not failed. 
And we have fallen and will, by God's grace, persevere in standing up again to face that fear until at last we finally and perfectly overcome all of our fears in God's presence. Proverbs 24.16 says, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. As those who have been adopted by God through faith in Jesus Christ, we have, dear ones, been set free from all such fears that choke and paralyze us. We need not be shackled by our fears. We need not procrastinate because we are afraid. We can, by God's grace, step forward and do the will of God, knowing that he will preserve us and protect us from all those lions because he has promised, he has told us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Dear ones, are you one to make excuses time and again why you haven't fulfilled this or that appointed task or duty? Do you make excuses for your sins? Are you afraid to covenant with the Lord to overcome that sin because you have fallen so many times before? Do you make excuses for your laziness in applying the means of God's grace in your lives, whether it's secret worship or family worship, whether it's prayer, the Word, keeping the Sabbath? Dear ones, let us confess our sins of procrastination and of fear in being diligent. And let us be diligent to do the will of God and let us embrace the promise that's found in Psalm 91, verses 13 through 16. Let us cling to this promise. Thou shalt tread upon the lion. And adder, the young lion, and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Beloved, let no fear of pain, therefore, fear of affliction, fear of persecution, fear of isolation, keep you from diligently, though imperfectly, nevertheless, diligently and faithfully doing what you know to be the will of God. The second characteristic of the sluggard is that he loves pleasure. Proverbs 26.14, we read these words. As the door turneth upon his hinges, so doth the slothful upon his bed. Here is a graphic picture of the sluggard who, like a door on the hinge, turns continually from one side of the bed to the other, but never quite making it out of bed. And so the slothful person always finds that he is too busy with his own pleasures to do what pleases the Lord. This is, dear ones, not a condemnation of rest, 
of sleep or lawful recreation, but rather a judgment against an excess and abuse to the neglect of that which is our duty. For example, we know it is our duty to get a good night's sleep because our work tomorrow will require of us much strength, alertness, patience, and understanding. But we stay up till all hours of the night, indulging ourselves in our pleasures in exchange for that needed rest. Dear ones, it is laziness when we make ourselves unfit for our lawful callings by our overindulgence in our pleasures. Let me say it again. It is laziness when we make ourselves unfit for our lawful callings by our, our overindulgence in our pleasures. Listen to Proverbs 21, verse 17 again. He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. You will suffer poverty, bankruptcy, loss, in some way or another, if you love pleasure. If that is what your heart is devoted to, is pleasure. If your life revolves around pleasure rather than your lawful calling, whatever that may be, you will suffer loss. Our pleasures are to interrupt and to rest and to recreate us. They are not our life. Laziness loves pleasure and its own comfort to such a degree that it will not sacrifice comfort for the cause of Jesus Christ or for the sake of righteousness. A lazy person will not suffer for the gospel's sake, but will make whatever compromises necessary to cling tenaciously to his earthly security blankets. The sluggard, dear ones, has no comprehension of the value of that which is heavenly and eternal compared to that which is earthly and temporal. He will therefore willingly sell his spiritual birthright to the kingdom of God for a bowl of soup if it means his comfort, such as the sluggard. Those who are slothful may express with their mouths a desire to be holy, but are unwilling to exert the time or the energy or the resources to be holy. It's just too difficult to take the kingdom of God by a holy violence for the sluggard as we are taught to do in Matthew eleven twelve. It requires too much devotion to Christ. It requires real blood, sweat, and tears exerted in living the Christian life. The dear ones, we find in the life of the Apostle Paul, Galatians chapter 6, verse 17, that he could appeal to certain things in his own body that demonstrated he was not a sluggard. He says, From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. I've suffered. I've been willing to sacrifice my comfort and even the necessities of life for Jesus Christ. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 
verses 11 through 13 again see how the Apostle Paul had suffered to such an extent and was willing to sacrifice the loss of all things for Christ. Paul says, Even unto this present hour we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place and labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we suffer it, being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscoring of all things unto this day. Dear ones, we are all lazy in various respects and have desired our own comfort over suffering affliction with Christ to varying degrees. However, those who are lazy through and through will not be moved from their unbelieving ease. The suffering of Christ to which they can look, the suffering of the apostles to which they can look, the suffering of our covenanted forefathers, nor even the suffering of the brethren within this congregation will not move them to suffer in exchange for their present comforts. Beloved, it is promised to all those who suffer for Christ now that they shall be glorified with Christ in heaven, according to Paul's words in Romans 8.17. But for those who would be at ease in this life and eat and drink and be merry, the Lord says to them, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall these things be which thou hast provided? Dear ones, let us not be at ease in Zion but rather, rather let us take the kingdom of God with a holy violence, with force, as it were, trusting in Jesus Christ alone for our eternal salvation and ever exerting our time, money, and gifts to promote the cause of Jesus Christ. The third characteristic of the sluggard is that he finds his duty to be a burden. In Proverbs 26:15. The slothful hideth his hand in his bosom. It grieveth him to bring it again to his mouth. In this picture we find the sluggard unwilling to move his cold hands from inside his shirt where it's nice and warm in order to even feed himself. Likewise, we find concerning the sluggard in Proverbs 20, verse 4, it says, The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. Therefore shall he beg and harvest and have nothing. Even such a necessary duty as his daily bread becomes to him a grievous burden to bear. Surely those who are filled with the love of God, however, do not find their love-bound duties to Christ to be a burden too heavy to bear. For we read in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. They're not a burden to those who truly know the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 11, we're told why God's commandments are not a burden to us. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. <clears throat> 
Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Those who love the Lord Jesus Christ perform their duties not merely out of a duty-bound obedience, but I dare say an equal, if not to a greater degree, a love-bound obedience. Love, dear ones, greases the wheels of our obedience. Love for Jesus Christ. Recognizing that Jesus never sends us alone into this world to carry all the burdens of the world upon our own shoulders, to carry our own anxieties, our own fears, our own weaknesses. The Lord Jesus Christ comes alongside of us every step of the way to help bear our burden so that it is not miserable, so it is not grievous, so it is not an affliction to us to be a Christian, but our greatest delight to carry the burden of the Lord Jesus Christ. And dear ones, if indeed our Christian life has become a drudgery, has become a great burden to us, let us heed the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, where he says to the church of Ephesus, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. If serving Jesus Christ and obeying Jesus Christ has become a burden, we have left our first love. We're not doing it because we love the Lord. We're simply doing it because he's commanded us to do so. And it will become a burden to us if that is why we're obeying God. Simply because of his sovereign majesty and greatness. Certainly we obey him because he is our sovereign, because he is great and mighty, the creator of the ends of the earth. But dear ones, we who are his redeemed people do so because he has loved us with an everlasting love. When our obedience, dear ones, therefore becomes a misery to us rather than a joy to us, let us look to the cross to see what a burden of sin, a burden of shame, a burden of punishment Jesus Christ was willing to bear for us. What shame is ours when our obedience is merely duty-bound rather than love-bound? Whether it's tasks, work that we perform, menial or great, in the home, in the church, in the neighborhood, at school or at work, regardless of whether where it is, when it becomes a burden to do what is our duty to do, we have left our first love. Our eyes are not firmly fixed upon Jesus Christ. And we must heed the words of Christ, repent therefore, and renew that first love. Finally, fourthly, the sluggard is characterized in that he is proud. 
Proverbs 26.16 The sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. The very root of laziness is made evident in this verse. It is pride. The root of laziness is pride, conceit, and self-preoccupation, selfishness. What drives a person to be lazy is essentially his preoccupation with himself, with his own dreams, with his own pleasures, with himself. His whole world revolves around him. You see, the sluggard cannot be taught anything, for he believes he has acquired great wisdom and has marvelously done so without hardly any mental exertion on his part. You remember, the slugger is not willing to invest the time necessary to gain the graces, to improve the graces which God has given. But he sits around idly, just expecting by way of osmosis or, or something to fall from heaven that he will be a wise man. He views himself wiser than seven men who can give sound biblical reasons for their advice. To really learn anything. You see, it is the humble person who learns because he listens. It is the humble person who thankfully receives correction. It is the humble person who is diligent and therefore able to lead others. Do you want to be a leader? Don't be lazy. Be diligent. Be faithful. Proverbs chapter 12, verses 23 and 24. Solomon says, A prudent man concealeth knowledge. A prudent man, in other words, doesn't boast about what he knows doesn't try to impress others. But the heart of fools proclaimeth foolishness. The hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. The lazy aren't really going to exert, again, the energy, the time, and the resources to be able to learn to lead. Because leading, dear ones, is not something we simply acquire. It is something we learn through our own submission, through our own humility and being willing to submit to those in authority over us and to learn from those who are in authority over us. We learn how to lead more effectively. That's why leaders who, who are infected with very conspicuous arrogance and pride will never be effective leaders. If you would lead others, therefore, dear ones, be humble and diligent, even in the small areas of life. Remember, he who is faithful in little will be faithful in much. What has God given to you right now, whether you're a child, youth, Adult, what has God given to you? What are your lawful duties that God has called you to do right now? Whether you consider them to be great 
or small makes no difference. If they are in fact small, God says, if you are faithful in the little, I will make you faithful in the much. I will give you more responsibility. I will bless you with more to be able to use for my glory and for the profit and benefit of others. Don't hide, therefore, the gifts and the graces that God has given to you, but invest them, as it were. Exert them. Use them. If you fall, you fall. Get back up. Seek God's grace again to rise. Don't waste what God has given to you. Redeem the time. Don't waste the time. Don't be lazy with your time. For the days indeed are evil. Dear ones, laziness is not a mere hindrance to a godly life. It is death to a godly life. Let us then by God's grace put to death laziness, lest laziness put us to sleep. Or even worse, put us to death. Please stand with me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we do pray that Thou would purge us of sloth, laziness in our lives, for we, Father, confess our guilt. We confess, O Lord, that it clings to us in various ways. But we would, Father, be free of it. We pray, Father, that Thou would keep us from the extremes of which we spoke earlier, either the extreme of becoming a workaholic, where, Father, we never recreate, where we never rest, where we only work for work's end and work's sake, nor drifting to the other extreme that all we do focuses and centers around pleasure. The Father causes us to be diligent in performing and doing by thy grace the will of God to the glory of God and for the benefit of ourselves and others. Father, we, we do ask and plead with thee that thou would cause us uh, to do what we do because, Lord, we love thee. Do not fall into, Lord, uh, a snare or a trap of simply going through the motion, the outward motion of obedience or simply doing so because thou hast commanded it. But, Lord, cause our obedience to be love-bound and not only duty-bound. Father, we do thank thee for the enlightenment of thy word and the presence of thy spirit that applies it unto our lives. We pray, Father, that, that, that thy word would burn deeply into our lives. That, Father, we would be a humble people. That we would be a broken and contrite people ready to learn. Humble and ready to lead. Father, we need leaders so badly in this day and age. We have so many followers who are following people all the way to hell. But we need godly leaders. Teach us, Father, therefore to be diligent that we might lead and not lazy that we might merely follow. We ask, O Lord our God, these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. It is likely that the sermon or book that you just listened to is also available on cassette or video, or as a printed book or booklet. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle is adopted by the papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.